1: I'm Professor Tanya Evans, and this is the Earn and Invest podcast.
0: It was March 2013. While reading my brother Andrew's blog, I came across a post simply titled Bitcoin. It was my first inkling of the cryptocurrency world, but certainly not my last. His post focused on blockchain technology and not on the use of crypto as currency, nor what would eventually become rampant investment, or should I say, speculation. Years later, I'm stuck with many of the same questions I had back then. Is crypto a technology, a currency, an investment, or speculation? Or is it just a little bit of everything? And more importantly, does it have a key role to play in our investing lives today? My answer at the start of this conversation is a strong no. My guest for this episode, however, wholeheartedly disagrees. Today, we talk the 10 biggest crypto myths with Dr. Tanya Evans. Dr. Tanya Evans is a law professor at Penn State, author of the upcoming book, Digital Money Demystified, and keynote speaker. She recently testified before the House Financial Services Committee and the Copyright Office on the Intellectual Property Law Related to NFTs and blockchain technology. Tanya has made it her mission to demystify cryptocurrency and the blockchain. Dr. Tanya Evans, welcome to Earn and Invest. I want to jump to a study that I found from November of 2022 by the economists at the Bank of the International Settlements, which suggested that three-fourths of Bitcoin investors lost money between 2015 and 2022. First and foremost, do those numbers sound right to you?
1: First of all, Jordan, thanks so much for having me on with this conversation. And without having the arc of Bitcoin's trajectory directly in front of me, it does make sense given the dramatic uptick in the price. I believe it was in 2021 when so I remember, you know, every stadium was named after A a Bitcoin or crypto investment company and Tom Brady loved it and, you know, they like it, we love it. Shaq had something out. And it was during that time when there was a rampant bull market, the price of Bitcoin that started at nothing, that shot all the way up over time to 67,000. So many people got in at the arc. And so it makes sense that many people actually were on the losing side of that trajectory because oftentimes, you know, uh, Warren Buffett famously said, be, you know, greedy when people are fearful and fearful when people are greedy. We were in a huge hype cycle. And it makes sense to me that so many people got in at a time when you're supposed to buy low and sell high, but most people got in at the arc and then experienced the epic downside There were a few other macroeconomic things happening at the time, this little pandemic that destabilized many different assets and economies, to be sure. And then we had the crypto contagion of 2022, which I'm sure we're going to get into. So it makes sense to me that if you take that slice, particularly from, you don't even have to go all the way back to 2009. I think your statistics started at 2015
0: 2015 to 2022,
1: correct. So historically speaking, that was when Ethereum first launched as well. And so before Ethereum, you really only had Bitcoin. Then you had Ethereum, which is the type of ecosystem that supports thousands of tokens. The proliferation of those tokens and people chasing FOMO led to a lot of disgruntled and unhappy Investors and 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 rightfully so to be be disgruntled if you're on the wrong side uh, of that uptick. You Use the terms hype
0: cycle and FOMO, and I I don't want to be Pollyanna here. We have those things with what we consider traditional investments with stocks. We all saw the meme stocks, etc. So this is not just cryptocurrency. This happens in almost all investments. But I think it begs an important question when it comes to cryptocurrency. Which is almost definitional. Is cryptocurrency an investment or is it a speculative asset? And I I struggle with this myself. It's something that I really spend time thinking about it. I guess people define speculation and investment
1: differently. But Mm.
0: tell me how you think about it and what terms you put this in.
1: Well first there's there are over 40,000 different types of coins and tokens and I use those terms specifically because we hurt we most people who know anything about crypto have heard of, of bitcoin right and you can turn on CNBC or Yahoo Financial and and hear uh talk not only of bitcoin but also of ethereum thousands of tokens. You literally could have a Dr. G coin if you wanted to (laughs) with a few strings of coins. Uh, This is not legal or financial advice, but you could do it. We could sit down and write code and come up with a token. The question is whether you have a community um, in support of it, whether you have this, you know, really all money and assets are a, a social contract to the extent that they are not connected to some asset. The dollar, for example, has not been on the gold standard since the 40s. It's been decades. And so this really is a social contract or an agreement for on the side of the dollar for the full faith and credit of a government that near shut down almost quarterly, right? So the same can be said for taking it back to your original point about whether we're talking of investment or the other term you used was speculative. A speculative asset or, or asset, just speculation in general. Yeah. I think in the United States, we often see it through the lens of speculation. Uh, especially because it's an immature market that is experiencing extreme volatility as most nascent asset classes or emerging markets do until you have a more mature market, you get out the bad actors, you have a, a framework of regulation, more money comes in, which is what we're seeing in 2024. With the, We're just on the, the precipice of the first Bitcoin exchange traded fund or ETF, BlackRock is in, Fidelity, et cetera. So once you have those legacy players move into the space, not only is there an investment that is legitimate, there are certainly people, as you mentioned, that would use it for illegitimate purposes, but Bitcoin is, act, we can talk about it later, it's really difficult to do for the on the criminal side. This is an investment. There's a bit of a misnomer with the word cryptocurrency because we hear Literally cryptography coming together with currency and we think immediately, you know, exchange for value, which was the original point of it, peer-to-peer cash. But in the United States and in many places around the world, all uh, cryptographically secured assets are taxed as a capital asset. So it has, to your point, properties, programmable properties that intrinsically are both. I can buy and sell and spend Bitcoin in the same way that I could fiat or, or government issue currency. But one of first of all, you'd have to pry my Bitcoin out of my cold, dead hands because <laughs> of the volatile nature. And I have the luxury in the United States of saying I'm going to buy and hold for a long period of time. When I first uh, learned about Bitcoin, in particular, in 2017, look, I'm a I'm a, a lawyer and a full-tenured law professor, licensed to practice law in four states, New York, New Jersey, Pennsylvania, and D.C. I'm one of the most highly risk-averse people you know, although given the topic we're talking about, I'm sure you cannot tell. But I asked all the questions that we're talking about because I didn't want anything to do with magic internet money. But as I learned more about the programmable nature of an asset that can also be exchanged on a peer-to-peer basis in like the same way that we used to use or some people, I'm an intellectual property lawyer by training. So this idea of of peer-to-peer file sharing, right? Napster, Grokster, uh, BitTorrent, which is still around for sure. The idea of using that technology now, not to just exchange media files or messages, but actually value. That was a game changer that caused me to pause to figure out what that meant and why on earth I would choose some alternative form of exchange Given the, the 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 you know the global presence of the almighty dollar, I think that's important that we need to talk about like why this if we already have that.
0: You know, there I would say almost a given, right? This given that blockchain technology is amazing and can do some amazing things, and there, I don't think anyone doubts that, right? And there's also a questioning of the almighty dollar and its safety and all those kind of things, and mm. the fact that its control is in a, you know, in the hands of the government and things happen with governments, etc. I think those things are a given. When I think about this kind of speculation versus investment point, mm. I think about what I traditionally consider investment. So I think of real estate, and so I can look at a property and say I s- expect I'm going to have this much cash flow. And it's in a good neighborhood and it's going to increase in value by this much. Or I can do the same thing, especially long term with stocks or index funds. I can say, well, I think the American market based on these technologies and what's going on there is going to increase at this level. Or I think Apple, because of the technology they're creating and their assets, and I can even look at you know, their books, I can listen to their CEO, I can base my decision to put money into those things based on all of this research
1: Mm -hmm. when
0: you're deciding to put your money into bitcoin let's say or Mm -hmm. another coin for that matter what are you actually putting money into because again like i said when i buy a property i'm buying that property and i'm I'm really buying some cash flow and appreciation same thing with stocks you're buying Mm -hmm. dividends and you're buying some appreciation what are you buying when you put your money into a coin
1: well, and I would uh, say even more so with stocks, you're buying not just on the chance of the gains or the, the appreciation, but also ownership in a company. So to make that point the point that you're making even stronger as we compare and contrast different types of capital gains. And my answer is, it depends on the particular use. In the United States, it's far less a reality that people are using cryptocurrencies for day-to-day purchases at this point in time, given the fact that, and I'm looking at the the Bitcoin chart right now that started next to nothing and now is north of 45,000 per coin, for example. And the all-time appreciation from 2009 to this point. I can't even read the number. It's so high, but they're like one, two, three, four, five, six, seven, like they are eight digits in front of a, of a decimal point And then some after that, I don't know many other assets that have appreciated in that short amount of time, but we often see this, even if it's not that level of appreciation that I mean, it's, it's mind staggering. I literally can't say that number. But the idea that this appreciation or the capital gain over time is quite interesting if you're an investor. I can pick countries in Africa where the peer-to-peer cash, not just for Bitcoin, but for others, but primarily Bitcoin, is not a nice to have, it's a need to have. When I look at El Salvador or Venezuela or other places where you earn money, and then it the next day or maybe the same day, it's either a shell of its former self or you are under the foot of a government that seizes your asset without due process, et cetera. So that's a completely different meaning for others that makes it a, far more difficult. I think it's really a privilege or a luxury to look at it as I do, as an asset that takes up a small but meaningful part of an overall balanced portfolio.
0: Yeah. And, and to make the point, you know, the first transaction with Bitcoin was buying, (laughs) what, two pizzas for (laughs) thousands of Bitcoin and that thousands of Bitcoins are like worth billions of dollars now. Literally. Uh, You know, those people (laughs) must be really kicking themselves for that purchase. Agree. So let's circle back to you because you, like you said, you're a lawyer and you're pretty risk averse. How did you ever fall into this cryptocurrency rabbit hole?
1: I often uh, ask myself that or people who know me think I've taken leave of my senses. I have innumerable imposters on social media platforms saying they're Bitcoin traders or Forex. In fact, if your listeners ever see that. You don't even have to write me at this point. I My team goes through dozens of imposters on various social media outlets, block and report. I will not slide into your DMs to say hello or dear kind sir. <laughs> or I have this great deal your, for you. <laughs> oh, right. Or how's your portfolio? I kind of have other things to do. Um, but in 2017, uh, I had a friend who was in a graduate program at the time. She was in new media and technology. And they had some type of working group trying to figure out the potential disruption, uh, disruptive impact, I should say, of blockchain technology on the media space, which I thought was quite interesting, but didn't really, I'm not in finance. It didn't seem to have anything to do with me. Uh, I was under the impression of this magic internet money. What's it backed by? What's the point? I want nothing to do with it. But I was interested in the underlying technology that organizes and secures the data that wasn't in one place, you know, in that kind of like client data server model, but more distributed, the same way people used to talk about the internet before it reorganized and became bigger than most countries, uh, including the United States. Uh, Story for another day, right? And I wanted to figure out more about distributed ledger technology because of my intellectual property background. So I started kind of taking this voyage or this journey at the intersection, taking my favorite search engine and searching literally intellectual property and blockchain. And I was fascinated by all of the projects at the time, many that hadn't come anywhere near to full fruition, but we're doing some really interesting things. I also teach real property. I teach administrative law, information privacy law. So there were a lot of different areas of interest for me academically. I didn't know what it meant for me as an investor personally at that time, but I did want to figure out what the next wave of lawyers needed to know, how they could be conversant in the technology so that they could be the smartest person in the room in a a difficult job market. And then I fell down the proverbial rabbit hole because in order to really fundamentally appreciate and understand kind of the game-changing experience that happens with this type of software and organization and securitization of data, You have to understand that first use case, almost in the same way that even though at this point we kind of hate electronic mail or email, it really was the first mainstream use of the internet that got, you know, email is to the internet, what Bitcoin is to blockchain. It was the first. It won't be the last. It certainly is not. It may not even be the most interesting. I'm really interested in identity and some other uses, but understanding uh, this novel arrangement of of existing technology, cryptography, which is really just the encryption of messaging, the internet, peer to peer file sharing, and also consensus uh, protocols they all existed but combining them uniquely was really fascinating and it had a huge impact on software because software is capable of being both copyright protected and also protected under pursuant to patent laws and so i started to integrate that work into my teachings for intellectual property surveys and ultimately developed the first one of the first blockchain crypto and law programs at a law school and the first online certificate programs for those outside of the law school, at my previous law school. And so few intellectual property lawyers were doing that at the time, that my dean at at Franklin Pierce Law, where I was also the associate dean, sent me halfway around the world to start to teach intellectual property lawyers about the disruptive impact, but also the opportunities. I went to the World Intellectual Property Organization, and my career in this lane took off really before I even knew it, because there was a hunger at the professional level to understand more about the technology.
0: I want to get in a moment to your book where you discuss the top 10 crypto myths, because one of the things I find very refreshing about you and your book is you do not look like or sound like most of the exposure <laughs> we have to cryptocurrency, right? Most right. of us see it on TikTok or Instagram. It's someone who's kind of hyped up, yelling in our face, telling us we can't miss out and you'd be stupid not to do this. Right. And here, what I really loved about your book was this is a nuanced conversation by someone who is trained in intellectual property as a GAD and put significant thought into this But before we get there, I have to ask, tell us about your first crypto purchase. Do you remember the first time you actually made the jump and went from the intellectual to the practical?
1: That's great. I don't think anybody's ever asked me that question. And so I I was reflecting on that, too, obviously, to sit down and, and put the pieces together to write the book. I made a ton of mistakes. The first things I bought, Bitcoin and Ethereum. I was really fascinated with Ethereum in particular at the time because it was the new kid on the block. There was this battle at the time. I remember in 2017, 2018, either not Bitcoin, blockchain, focus on the technology, not the currency. And oh, by the way, there's this new kid on the block and it's going to, Ethereum is going to be this, world virtual operating system that's going to support this ecosystem of decentralized applications and decentralized autonomous organizations whatever those were at the time so with that you know boom of all of the different tokens and and when i say token i mean there is a cryptocurrency that doesn't have its own specific blockchain and so it writes its transactions to an existing one that's the difference between tokens and coins so and there were just a ton of them. And there were all of these projects. Now we know them to be unregistered securities as well. Thousands of them, unregistered securities, the SEC tamped down, and that was a good thing. But I bought everything from Bitcoin and ETH to trading in my ETH for things like MomCoin. I kid you not. <laughs> <laughs> don't don't try this at home, kids. This is very dangerous. I lost all of my mom coin and my ETH. There are just thousands of things. I remember XRP at the time or Ripple. It was also one of the first coin tokens that I bought, excuse me, at the time, and they still do today. We're using the underlying technology on the back end, move money without having to pay foreign transaction fees. They weren't and still don't pass that benefit on the savings on to customers. But they were doing things, they could see that the technology was making their ability to send and settle transactions more quickly around uh, the world using the Ripple network. What I didn't know is that those who launched Ripple weren't requiring people to use the coin. So I'm thinking, oh, I need to, And that was speculation on my part, right? To your point, it's like, oh, someday, I mean, the banks are in, this must be legitimate. and. Actually, Ripple's making a a comeback now after a great win against the Securities and Exchange Commission. It makes me think of there was like a couple of other things that uh, seller lumens, which is still around. So I I bought some dogs, but it was the process of kind of failing forward and finding out because you really can't understand until you have a little skin in the game and fortunately for most people if you're not betting the farm on it you can buy one dollars worth of anything and figure it out later and so that's how i failed forward
0: so the book is digital money demystified and in it you talk about the top 10 crypto myths and i'd like to enumerate some of them let's start with myth one crypto is too volatile Mm. How volatile is cryptocurrency? Because it seems to me from the outside that it's fairly volatile compared to some stocks and bonds and other things.
1: Absolutely. And that's even the short answer is it is volatile in uh, and by it, it, you know, it's across the board with all the coins and tokens, although the market domination really comes from Bitcoin. It used to be uh, Bitcoin used to dominate the market by leaps and bounds, probably upwards of 75%. It's receded a bit given the place that ETH has in the economy, to be sure, and with all of the successful projects that have been built in that ecosystem. So now Bitcoin is about 52%, 52%, which is a significant drop just because of the place of ETH. And then other uh, tokens, we see stable coins coming in. People will start to talk about central bank digital currencies because almost every government is working on its own version, which is why I think the, the government, as an aside... I speak specifically about the United States because there are some governments that are a little more favorable. It does not mean that it's easier. It's just more clear. And by it, I mean regulations and laws. But I know in the United States, uh, all of a sudden there's a customer service crisis where people are starting to say, hey, I guess I don't always need fiat. That actually can undermine the stability of an economy if there aren't some changes made. Story for another day. But with respect to volatility, The reason that I started with that chapter and the reason it's so important is not to to push back on the concept of the volatility. From the time that I launched, I I, in addition to being a full tenured professor, I own Advantage Evans Academy. And that gives me the opportunity to work with others to inform them, not to invest for them, but to teach them, as the the book suggests, um, safely, legally, and confidently so that you can make good choices out there. And since I launched Advantage Evans Academy in in June or July of 2020, when Bitcoin's price was about 9, 10, 11,000 per token, those students and the members of the community, you know, they saw it go up, they saw it go down, but they're still up 3x, 4x at this point today. And that is in a very, very short period of time. There's There are very few assets that perform in that way. Bitcoin is the number one performing asset out of the gate in 2024, for example. And it, so I wanted to unpack what volatility actually means and to to your point about having a nuanced conversation about volatility doesn't it, it is what it is but it doesn't mean bad it means that you have to approach it as a volatile nascent asset class that may balance out something that's that has almost no risk right uh, maybe you have something that's a bond or you're putting something in a money market you have things in the middle you have dividend stocks you have other things to kind of balance out overall And volatility just is the rate at which the price of an asset increases or decreases for a set return on investment. So understanding the definition and then being more savvy and prudent about how something as volatile as this can balance out a portfolio over time so you don't miss it, but you also don't get into something and put all of your money in when you're thinking that it's 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 very very volatile that would not be the thing to bet the farm on. Yeah,
0: and it's notable this idea that as the rise of stable coins become more predominant, right, governments and other institutions that are trying to create coins that can be used more for currency, mm-hmm. that there may be a move towards less volatility over time in cryptocurrency as a whole. That doesn't mean that there may not be more volatile coins within within the world of cryptocurrency but that that in general we're probably moving towards more stability is that fair to say
1: I think that is fair to say and also think so each coin or token actually has a different reason for being and also different software protocols and rules we often talk about the software protocol as being the rules without a ruler which is a a mind shift and a different mindset when we think of the way that money has been used and issued and collected by governments in order to protect borders. Now we're talking about an asset class that can also be used as a currency, or I guess technically currency would be an asset class, but you have something that is both a capital asset, but also programmable money that isn't beholden to a particular government. So we have to actually take a fresh look at what volatility might mean in that context because there are some traditional measures that we can use in order to vet and select and type, you know, we have sufficient amount of history at this point with Bitcoin, had enough bull and bear cycles to kind of see the energy and how it moves. I know there I'm not a day trader or a swing trader by any stretch, but I know that people sit down and try and time the market, et cetera, et cetera. All of that we have to take a fresh look at what that means for this type of asset in an economy that never sleeps. It doesn't take off for new year's day. It's not just beholden to one country. And so it's really important to understand that when things, when assets are more volatile, there's also tends to be more opportunity, but you have to be prudent. You have to be savvy. You're going to get your hat handed to you at some point in time. I certainly have notionally and actually, But over time, I've actually done well. Uh, And so I don't think that volatility in and of itself is a bad thing. It just needs to be understood in the context of this new economy.
0: Yeah. And even within that short term volatility, there have been plenty Mm -hmm. of studies recently that shown that it's more correlated with the traditional stock market than we thought it was. Right. This argument that it's too volatile almost doesn't make sense when you look at these more recent studies that show that there's a a significant correlation. It's not one-to-one, but it's more correlated than you'd expect. Right. Myth two is that crypto is only for criminals. We're not going to go in depth about this, but you do provide in your chapter quite a bit of data that shows that the criminal activity is actually a small portion of it. Mm -hmm. But I want to spend a little more time with myth three. Just this myth that crypto is just one big scam. I mean, <laughs> we've seen some highly publicized cases of criminality and founders absconding with money or shutting down the coin and not returning money. Sam Bankman-Fried comes up all the time.
1: Mm-hmm.
0: Talk about this idea that it's just a scam meant to kind of take people's money.
1: So, for that to be accurate, forty thousand different projects and. Projects with people would have had to go to some smoke filled room. I don't know. That kind of sounds like banks, but anyway, anyway, that's I'm sure that's the story for another day. They all they all had to get together and come up with this diabolical plot to launch forty thousand and counting. And because when we say it, you know, I press people on that. It. What is it? What is it that is the scam? The scam that you have a type of money or an asset that for the first time is fully transparent for the first time is accessible to all. So there's no gatekeeper, but only the thing that really keeps people from participation is their level of understanding and betting and selecting the right tools in the right place and the right space. But there's no redlining. There's no you in, you out. There's no old boys club, right? So you can literally go onto the the blockchain tracker or explorer as we would say and see every transaction in real time all the way back to the first which is the genesis block i have no window into my bank accounts i have no window or very limited access to my investments i have to rely on other gatekeepers to help me do that and so when you put a centralized entity Sam Bankman-Fried. Let's use FTX as the example—a horrible and yet prescient point that we can make with someone who convinces people under the guise of crypto. Because this wasn't a crypto failure; this was someone saying, "Send me your assets, your fiat, your crypto, and keep it on this centralized platform that I, Sam Bankman-Fried, run, and I'll give you an eight point something percent return, and you just leave it there." And then unbeknownst to the investors or the the customers, the clients, he was taking those assets and sending them to his sister company, a hedge fund, Alameda Research, right? The ultimate of shell games and making speculative investments. It is garden variety scamming and and, and and fraud. And I can now say that because he's been convicted and we're just waiting for him to be sentenced. And in fact, he was brought to task faster than almost any other player that I can think in recent history. Took a long time to bring down Bernie Madoff, took a time to deal with Lehman Brothers. And when I think about the bottom falling out of other shell games, of other Ponzi schemes, this was one of them. But it didn't have to do with crypto That is a classic fraud issue. Now, can there be scammy tokens? Thousand percent. Can there be hacks to software? Software is what it is. My phone updates constantly. So when oftentimes when you hear about hacks, you hear about either some type of bug that has been discovered by someone. Sometimes they do it for the purpose of showing that there was an issue. Sometimes they're legitimate thieves, but it's actually not difficult to trace those transactions. And the Department of Justice has done a very good job of tracking down money and returning some, if not all, of those assets in a way that you can't do with physical cash. And so I say all that to say it's important that we highlight the bad actors And that they're ferreted out quickly because there are some extraordinary actors in the space that are bringing the best parts of decentralized finance to make things better, faster, cheaper and more accessible. And so I I don't want the headlines to just focus on the bad because I think it is for those who would call themselves professionals and intellectuals, intellectually lazy to just say it's all a scam. It's all a scam. It absolves me of the responsibility to even taking a look. And that doesn't mean you'll invest. But if you immediately, if someone just wipes it away and says it's all a scam, we have a very short conversation because they haven't invested enough time to even say, what is this and is this right for me and what it is, which is what I constantly push back on.
0: We are talking to Dr. Tanya Evans. She recently testified before the House Financial Services Committee and the Copyright Office on the Intellectual Property Law Related to NFTs and Blockchain Technology. And we are talking the top 10 crypto myths. We're going to take a short break. I'm Doc G, and this is the Earn and Invest Podcast. This episode is brought to you by Range Rover Sport. Usa.com. That's landroverusa.com. Are you struggling to close deals? B2B selling is tougher than ever. And that's why I want to tell you about LinkedIn Sales Navigator. Fueled by LinkedIn's 1 billion member platform, Sales Navigator gives you the most up-to-date first-party data, enabling you to unlock conversations with the people that matter. Right now, you can try LinkedIn Sales Navigator and get a 60-day free trial at linkedin.com slash earn. That is linkedin.com slash E-A-R-N for a 60-day free trial. Let LinkedIn Sales Navigator help you sell like a superstar today. Just go to linkedin.com slash earn and get started. We are back with Dr. Tanya Evans. She's a law professor at Penn State, and her book is Digital Money Demystified. And in it, she talks about the top 10 crypto myths. We talked about myth one, that crypto is too volatile. Myth two, crypto is only for criminals. Myth three, crypto is one big scam. That brings us to myth four. I was watching Madam Secretary the other night on Netflix, and the Secretary of State, her son, decided to take up Bitcoin mining. Mm. And so there's this point at the end of the episode where they get the electricity bill and it (laughs) was $500 a month, but now it was (laughs) 2000. And the secretary is shaking her head and they're chastising their child. This is a widely held belief, and there's Mm -hmm. been a lot of talk about this idea that it's costly. We were talking about electricity when it comes to that TV show, but ultimately electricity comes from things that are bad for the environment, right? We're utilizing the environment to form this electricity. So that is myth four. You say it is a myth that crypto is bad for the environment. Why?
1: In order to best understand this idea about crypto is bad for the environment is to first push back on this idea that it's inherently bad. And it requires a more nuanced conversation about the way various tokens come or coins come into existence. So for Bitcoin, for example, that requires mining, which is a far different process than some other blockchains that might rely on something called proof of stake, for example, that doesn't involve mining at all. So we don't have the same discussions about the environment. And so, for example, with the Bitcoin blockchain, roughly every 10 minutes, a block of transactions are verified and validated, and that makes them secure. And roughly every 10 minutes for the, in exchange for that work, not all people have to be miners in order to participate in blockchain, but those who devote their computational power in this kind of race to the finish line to figure out a unique code, miners would be awarded a certain amount of Bitcoin roughly every 10 minutes. When the Bitcoin blockchain first started, that was 50 coins every 10 minutes, right? Now, at the time, they weren't worth much. Imagine now, every four years, that number for the reward is reduced by half. In fact, this year, 2024, there will be another having or halvening event, which makes Bitcoin even more scarce because there will only be only 21 million. It just gives you a little context about that type of software protocol. Now, when people talk about the impact on the environment and the price of electricity, et cetera, et cetera, that that is actually valid. Where people... Are amiss or kind of go astray is comparing an entire world system to a country. If you're going to compare Bitcoin's consumption of energy or the requirement, you actually have to compare it to the existing legacy financial system, which pales in comparison and oftentimes you hear oh it's it's more than a small country okay because it's a world system and so it's not we're not comparing apples to apples that is not to diminish the fact that there are better more efficient ways to utilize energy in order to perform this task oftentimes we're making difficult choices of not good bad but given the impact what is the reward and i rarely see that discussion As well. And then final point: I'm most encouraged that some of the biggest stalwarts for Bitcoin and other software protocols or uh, ecosystems that use this type of mining, those are some of the most ambitious projects to try and find alternative ways, more efficient means. So I'm more hopeful that they will continue to get it right. It makes me think of Ethereum that started with mining and has switched over to proof of stake, for example. And they were able, it was able to do that uh, certainly more quickly than the legacy system, which is lagging behind. So I could go on and on with that. It's a really important chapter. And I do hope that people will kind of unpack that and so that we can right-size the conversation. Myth five is
0: crypto is anonymous and untraceable. We're not going to go deeply into this so we can get to the others. But as you were saying, the ledger is actually out there and public domain and even the addresses that the users are using are there. So you can actually trace what addresses do what over long periods of time. So it's not 100 percent true. Right. Let's go to myth six, seven, and eight, because I want to tackle them together. Myth six, blockchains and cryptocurrencies aren't secure. Myth seven, crypto is unregulated. And myth eight, crypto is too complicated. I feel like this conversation is similar to the one about energy, Mm -hmm. in the sense that all that's kind of rapidly changing over time. So the amount of complication, the amount of unregulation or dysregulation... Mm -hmm.
1: The amount of security that's all improving, right? Yes, uh, for sure. I think the security has are, now, when we talk of something inherent to blockchain technology, the entire point of decentralized systems of man- maintaining transactional data, like that is, you know, a feature, not a bug, and uh, and yet there. You know our constant improvements as we have more information, more people come online. This idea of time stamp time stamped data is critically important in the method and the means. but absolutely, when I think about the user interface and user experiences when I first you know started to dabble in crypto, for example, I mean you have to I would shut off all music, all t v I'd sit in a room for hours with my, you know, cold storage wallet or even understanding what wallets are and moving things and what exchange. It just took a a lot of time. And now that I think of the as the market matures, it will have to in order to have mass adoption at some point, it's going to have to be. Almost ubiquitous. You know, I look forward to the day when we're not even really talking about this. It's built into the technology that we already use. For example, I know that there's some projects looking to have a, a specific mobile device that not only is it the phone and what we use it for, for all sorts of other purposes, but has a built in crypto wallet that would be helpful for a unique identifier, for example. Identity, I think, is going to be, it's one of the biggest issues that needs to be solved in an internet world as we continue to be more digitized. And so technology marches on. This world will change more in the next two years than it has in two decades, in 10 years. And so I'm really hopeful that really smart minds are are working on this to make it safer for all Far more transparent and more accessible, and easier to use.
0: Myth nine is crypto is a passing fad and bubble, just waiting to burst. You know, I would I would look at this, and, and there's a whole chapter about this. But just the mm-hmm. fact that it's still around and growing and getting new users and new investors suggests that that's not true. Mm-hmm. Want to spend a little bit more on myth ten? Crypto is only for crypto bros. Talk about the demographic of people, especially those newly coming into crypto investments. It's changing, isn't it?
1: Yeah, that's one of the most exciting things for me, especially, you know, we started our conversation that I, in many ways, do not fit the the archetype or the avatar for uh, someone who is so um, passionately involved in all various aspects of the space. Uh, And I have to agree, but I'm really encouraged to see the fastest growing demographic of those with at least an interest, if not actual investment for women. When I think about the uses from an an economic justice point of view for people of color in general, Black investors in particular, in the book, I talk about the Ariel Investments in Schwab Bank uh, annual report on Black investors and for the first time In 2022, they actually did a sizable survey on Black crypto investors and why, even in the United States, and and actually not even, especially in the United States, because their data was pulled from the U.S., why Black investors were over-indexed in crypto per capita. And, And so I wanted to start to sift through all of that data to understand why. And it's for some of the reasons of Historical barriers to not just income, not just money, but wealth. When you think about how generational wealth is created, you have assets that go outside of your house, or maybe your your house as well, that actually generate return on investment. That actually is an appreciating asset. How it's not enough just to be a high income earner. When I talk to some of my friends, you know, I'm I'm a high income earner. Did all the right things, went to all the right schools. I went to private school for 12 years. I went to Northwestern University and played on scholarship. I played tennis on scholarship. Um, Fun fact about me, I played professional tennis for four years before I went to law school. I graduated pretty much at the top of my class. I was the editor-in-chief of the Law Journal. I did all the right things. I clerked in the Third Circuit. What I was taught is get the equivalent of a good government job, buy a home, buy some insurance, get a burial plot education, something that people could never take away from you. You know, you have your, your retirement account and you're done. It's no longer sufficient. And it certainly isn't when you think about the, the tax level of high income versus capital asset. This is why wealthy people say, give me a dollar in income and $10 million in stock options because they know that when you're passing down wealth or creating wealth, you have to have an asset that generates an income while you're, you know, doing the things you love with the people you love. And that's really freedom. So even when I talk about crypto, it's more about freedom, the freedom to have options, the freedom to make choices, and how to sizably start to chip away at the wealth gap. When I think about, you know, um Tulsa, Oklahoma, And the massacre there, when I think about Black Wall Street, when I think about uh, formerly enslaved coming into the world, and I think of the Freedmen's Bank that was an epic disaster. There's so many places and spaces where you, you have these sizable steps forward only to be moved back. And every time a generation starts over, you actually don't start from zero. You get further and further behind. And that's why, final point, I just want people to be intellectually curious about the opportunities to understand the pitfalls so that you can make better decisions because this is not going anywhere. And you will start to, as we said, hear more conversations about stable coins, more conversations here in the United States and around the world about central bank digital currencies, which would give people the opportunity to have access to banking if you're unbanked or underbanked here in the United States and around the world, that you can bypass the retail commercial banking level and have an account with the central bank, which could be a game changer. There are all sorts of financial privacy issues. You want to have the same level of financial privacy that we have with physical cash in a digital realm. And that's really difficult. So the devil's going to be in the details on that. But I'm still hopeful overall that, you know, hopefully you'll have me back and we'll talk over the years and let's see. Let's see. But I, I'm still bullish on on the the power and the promise, and we just have to get to the nuts and bolts of the reality.
0: Well, Dr. Tanya Evans, I really wanted to thank you for coming on the show today. The reason why I wanted to have you on is I realized that this is one of my biases. And I think when it comes to our biases, whether financial or otherwise, we have two choices. We can kind of put our heads in the sand and ignore them, or we can try to explore and understand them What I love about you is you don't look like nor sound like most of the people who talk about crypto. Truthfully, maybe one of the reasons why a lot of us feel burned by crypto is the people who are talking about it aren't necessarily themselves understanding what it is or what it is about. So the book Digital Money Demystified actually makes a much more coherent argument about what cryptocurrency is, why it's important, why blockchain is important and brings up some of those myths that a lot of us hold and helps debunk them. So I want to thank you for being on the show. I want to end the show the way I end every show, which is asking you if people have more questions, how can they get in touch with you?
1: Fantastic. And again, thank you so much for the conversation. If you want to learn more about me and the book, you can go to AdvantageEvans.com. That's AdvantageEvans.com. That will take you directly to the book, to courses, to free webinars, and more about my professional background and opportunities to work with me as well.
0: And when is the book available?
1: The book is out right now and it's actually on sale. I I you can get it from wherever books are sold. It actually is on sale right now with Amazon and is doing very well there. So you can get it at my website, but that's going to take you directly to various booksellers. So it is out and available wherever books are sold.
0: Dr. Tanya Evans, thank you so much for being on Earn and Invest today. Thank you, Jordan. That's a wrap. Earn and invest is now part of the airwave media podcast network. Visit airwavemedia.com to listen and subscribe to this show as well as other fine podcasts. Okay, this is Doc G. I haven't gone crazy. After listening to this episode, if you think that I'm telling everyone to go out and buy cryptocurrency, I'm not. You have to make decisions for yourself. But I wanted to have this discussion with Tanya Evans because I think there's another side to the crypto conversation that goes past the crypto bros and is actually based on intelligent conversation with intelligent people who are studying this phenomenon. And it is a phenomenon. We don't know what this is going to be in the future. Certainly, it feels like speculation right now. Will it eventually be investment? I don't know. I think here's what we can agree on. First and foremost, if you got into crypto early and held it for long term, you've had a phenomenal return. Let me say that again. If you got into crypto early and you held, so you're a buy and a holder, you have done really well. Your crypto investment has increased by thousands of percentages. You're feeling good right now. So that's point one. Long-term holders of crypto have done well. Let me say that it has to be the right crypto, right? I'm really mostly talking about Bitcoin, maybe F. But otherwise, the rest, the problem is we don't know if they're here today, gone tomorrow, or if they'll be here for long term. So let me amend that to say that if you got into Bitcoin long term and held it, you've done really well. That's point one. Point two is that regulation is coming. The thing that's going to happen over the next few decades is cryptocurrency is going to get more and more regulated, probably more and more safe, and probably on those terms less and less volatile. And now again, I'm talking more about things like Bitcoin and F, the really big types of cryptocurrency. Obviously, there's going to be a huge amount of volatility in the newer types of cryptocurrencies, the currencies that have not been around for a long time. So I think these two things for sure are true. Long term buy and holders in Bitcoin have done well and more regulation is coming, which is going to make it less volatile and probably safer. Now let's look at the other side. The other side is that first and foremost, if you look at Bitcoin and you track it over the years, it's starting to correlate with the stock market as a whole. That's right. When the stock market goes up, cryptocurrency goes up. When the stock market goes down, cryptocurrency goes down. If that is the case, it is no longer an uncorrelated asset, so it doesn't necessarily diversify you as well as you thought it was. And that's one of the big reasons people get into cryptocurrency, because they want an asset unconnected to our equities. And that might not just be the case. The other problem I have with cryptocurrency, honestly, is I still don't know what I'm buying. I know that I'm buying something that uses blockchain, and I totally believe in blockchain and think it's amazing. And I know I'm buying something that can be used as a currency, but often really isn't. It's now made to be, quote unquote, an investment. Again, whether we're going to call it an investment or speculation is really up to how you define those words. But I don't really know what I'm buying. When I buy a piece of real estate, I'm buying the land, I'm buying the building, I'm buying the cash flow that comes with renting it out and I'm buying the appreciation. When I buy a stock or a mutual fund, I'm buying a piece of company or several companies and I'm buying the dividend cash flow and I'm buying into the point that it'll appreciate and grow and do better in the future. When I buy cryptocurrency, I have no idea what I'm buying, except this idea that if I buy it and then a bunch of other people decide they want to buy it, that what I have bought is more valuable. Whereas if less people decide they want to buy it, it's going to be less valuable. But I don't know what it represents. Like, especially, we can talk about tokenization and how crypto is used to tokenize something else or securitize something else, right? So if my piece of cryptocurrency or token, symbolizes a piece of a real estate investment or a piece of a cash flow. I get that, and that's not what I'm talking about. But cryptocurrency itself, I don't know what I'm buying. So when it all comes down to it, Tanya Evans has convinced me that crypto is more of a thing that I wanted to give credit for, but I'm still not really running out, me personally. I'm not running out to buy a lot of it. I guess it can be a small part of anyone's portfolio. The part that's still speculation to me but I'm not convinced that it has a place at least in my asset allocation. I'm wondering if it fits in yours. And, by the way, I wanted to mention that I've got a bunch of people who've signed up to be on those Thursday episodes. Remember, at the last Thursday of each month, I'm going to do a roundtable that's going to be me, another expert, someone like Josel Sihai, or another friend, and then one of you one of our community members like you who sign up to be on our panel discussion about a current event. So I've got a number of people. We're really going out six to eight months already. But if you are interested, contact me and you yourself could be on the Earn and Invest podcast. All right, I leave things running just for the few minutes afterwards to catch whatever we say is the after show. Um, I really enjoyed the book. I thought it addressed a number of hurdles or roadblocks people have mm-hmm. when they come to crypto. Um, I'm interested, to obviously, as we all are, to see what happens. Um, I think my bias is, is that as volatility goes down a touch, mm-hmm. I think it will bring in a lot of new investors. Mm-hmm. Um, and as you said, you know, volatility is not necessarily a bad thing. I mean, with mm-hmm. volatility comes returns, right? Absolutely. We, and Absolutely. and, and it's, I mean, it's the whole point of equity versus bond investing, right? Why do we invest in equities? Well, there's higher yeah. volatility, higher returns, higher risk. But that's, that's what right. we want long term in a long term investor. Mm-hmm. Um, so it'll be interesting to see as some of that volatility goes down. I wonder if that will kind of allow more people to feel safe to jump in. No question. Very, very bullish on blockchain technology, um, very bullish on cryptocurrency as actual currency. Like, I right. love this idea that we too. will have some stable coins that allow us to move money more carefully, easily. Mm-hmm. I-, I like the decentralization. um There are always issues with decentralization, just like everything else. Um, Agreed.
1: It's great until you need customer service. (laughs) Yeah. And and
0: also, I mean, I don't I don't 100 percent understand this, but, you know, the the argument I hear against that is it sounds decentralized. But there are other ways of controlling whether you're controlling the wallets or you're controlling the forum or you're controlling whatever the other levels are that you Mm -hmm. may that 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 it may still be that some of the work may still be done in a decentralized way, but there are other control points that we haven't 100% gotten rid of. And it's very difficult to.
1: Well, um, the onboarding, you know, the idea of going from cash to crypto. So I could easily just never deal with the system at all. And we could have wallets and go back and forth. Uh, But the minute that we want to exchange that for another currency, then that becomes the onboarding or the offboarding point. Um, I think that's why stables are going to be really good in that regard. Um, and, and it, it, I don't think you can go from A to Z overnight without that intermediary. A lot of people get wrecked that way too. So we shall see the one final thing, definitely listen out for these exchange traded funds, um, as well. That's likely to happen by January 12th, I think was a, a, a filing date with the SEC. BlackRock will be, they updated their S1s recently and that, Will usher in a forced conversation that financial advisors didn't want to have, because now it is a part of an investment option to have actual exposure to Bitcoin without having to hold it personally. All kind of centralization, but that will usher in. I think that's a number of reasons why you see the the price getting so frothy right now. We have the Bitcoin happening at the same time a Bitcoin ETF is coming eyes and an election year. Yeah, listen. Anything, it, uh,
0: anything I missed, anything I didn't ask you about with the book that you'd like to,
1: to add in? No, I think that was great. I, we had better coverage for this conversation than most. Most times we can talk about one or two. So I think you did a really good job of getting to the meat of the most controversial or the most interesting ones. And so I think you did a great job.
0: Want to learn how you can make smarter decisions with your money? Well, I've got the podcast for you.